back to Corbett Report Radio. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, welcoming you back to the broadcast tonight here on Republic Broadcasting and thanking you for joining us once again. And as we get into 2012 and get things underway here, we're starting to see some of the things of the, the, the shape of things to come, as H.G. Wells and his ilk would put it. And unfortunately, it doesn't look particularly promising because as I'm sure you're all aware by now, one of the last acts of the new year for the person calling himself President Obama was to sign into law that that absolute total America-destroying legislation known as the National Defense Authorization Act 2011, uh, absolutely just eviscerating what was left of anything resembling the Constitution and declaring that the U.S. military has the right to to act as policemen and to actually arrest American citizens on American soil and hold them in indefinite detention without trial until the end of the war on terror, which, as several commentators have pointed out, well, let's not hold our breath for that one. It would be like waiting for a a human emotion to be absolutely eviscerated from the face of the planet, i.e. it's never, ever, ever going to happen. So it is absolutely the bill that will destroy America and... Unfortunately, that isn't all, and I wish I could say that it was going to get better from here, but along comes the next bill, and uh, you won't believe it till you see it for yourselves, so I urge you all to go to your search engine of choice, hopefully something like scroogle.org or startpage.com, and check HR3166, and when you look that up, you will find, even from govtrack.us, HR3166 Enemy Expatriation Act. And the summary is to add engaging in or supporting hostilities against the United States to the list of acts for which United States nationals would lose their nationality. You cannot make this stuff up, folks. They are talking about stripping U.S. citizens of their citizenship for supporting or engaging in hostilities against the United States, i.e. terrorism. And as we know from the Patriot Act, Terrorism was defined as basically any crime or misdemeanor because of Section 812 of the Patriot Act. So really what we're talking about is taking citizens' citizenship away from them for being labeled terrorists. And we know how easily that label is applied and stuck in this day and age. So uh, just the, the unbelievable, unbelievable, unthinkable of these people to keep going further and further and further with their just ridiculous legislation. It, it really does beggar description. I'm at a loss for words. And again, I urge you not just to take my word for it or just to go off of that short blurb. I, I urge you to go and look up Enemy Expatriation Act and read some of the commentary on it. And you'll find it from uh, numerous different sources. In fact, earlier today, I uh, found uh, a notice about this new act from uh, none other than Joe Biden, who uh, had something up that was uh, talking about, oh, this is just adding another another reason that we can strip your citizenship. It, 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 there's already a list of reasons, like if you turn in your passport or things like this. Well, this is just one more to add to that list. Absolutely outrageous, and I, I fear what is becoming of America and that Americans are going to get caught up in some kind of ridiculous Romney-Obama sideshow that addresses none of the issues that have been raised by people like Ron Paul who are being ridden out of the picture by all of the shenanigans that we saw go down in Iowa 
and will undoubtedly see going down again and again throughout the primaries as they get rid of the only person who's actually talking about putting the, an end to this ridiculous tyranny. Well, when we come back, we're scheduled to have Eric Shine on the line tonight to talk with us about the NDAA and its implications. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. Welcome back. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and of course, you are tuned into Corbett Report Radio. And as I mentioned before the break, we are hoping to get Eric Shine on the line tonight, our regular guest. He's, of course, at MarshallLaw911.com and CrossingTheRubicon.org, and he's also the host of his very own Republic Broadcasting show, uh, In the Zone, which airs on Saturday and Sunday nights in this very time slot. So I'm sure many of you are familiar with him already and his trials and tribulations with the Coast Guard, which is really, uh, in many ways, a preview and a forerunner for what this NDA legislation makes possible, or at least so we think. Of course, Obama has uh, come out and said already that, uh, that this NDA legislation doesn't give him any new power to detain citizens. He's always had that power because of the initial uh, f- uh, agreement that the, the Congress uh, uh, put their names to back in 2001 for the... Uh, the waging of the war on terror, according to uh, to Obama and his handlers, apparently that gives the U.S. president uh, the power to detain anyone as a military combatant uh, in this war on terror. So, so there you go. I mean, this is just the formalization of that. But, uh, but I suppose we already know that they will continue pressing us to the wall further and further as far as they can uh, get us to go and get go along with it. Anyway, tonight we're talking about the NDAA and all of the ridiculous tyranny that it brings in. So if you want to get in on tonight's conversation, 1-800-313-9443, and that will get you up and on the air to talk about your thoughts and feelings about 2012 as we enter the year of what could be the implementation of total outright tyranny. I mean, we've seen the tyranny coming at us for a long time, but here it is right in our face with all of this ridiculous legislation they're trying to bring through. Once again, that's 1-800-313-9443. And while we're waiting for Eric Schein to join us on the line tonight, let's go through some of the stories about NDAA that's making its way through the the Internet and the blogosphere today on this 4th of January 2012 uh, back in the United States. And uh, we have from PressTV.com, of course, the uh, the Iranian news channel, which has a lot more um, uh, news that you can actually use than a lot of the so-called news, in, unfortunately, in occupied America. We have this story. Three arrested as Occupy protesters march against NDAA. And for people who haven't heard about this story, basically Occupy Wall Street uh, are organized something of a flash mob in uh, Grand Central Station in New York City today to protest the NDAA and really just spread awareness of it. Uh, basically, they were using the, the human mic thing that they've been doing at Occupy protests to basically talk about the NDAA and let uh, the business uh, rush hour commuters know about this uh, America-destroying legislation. And what do they get for it? Well, they get arrested. And there's some quite uh, dramatic footage online uh, of this, uh, this flash mob that developed today. Um, extremely interesting. I, I suggest you go and take a look at it. There's one, actually, that's up on a YouTube account called Joey's New York, and it's uh, eight and a half minutes of this footage from Grand Central Station and some quite heated confrontations between the people there 
and the police, who of course are just doing their job and just uh, getting rid of these these darn protesters by arresting them uh, and forcibly uh, handcuffing them and dragging them off. And it's uh, some quite dramatic footage. So again, I hope uh, you'll go and take a look at that. And of course, I'll put the link to that and all of the documents that I talk about tonight uh, online on uh, corporatereport.com slash radio shortly after tonight's broadcast. So I hope you'll uh, stay tuned for that. But uh, but I see we have Eric on the line. So Eric, uh, it's great for you to join us tonight. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Jim, sorry about the delay. I was trying to get in on Skype and was having a little bit of trouble. No problem. Skype can do that sometimes. But it's good to have you here in 2012 as we look forward to the new year or look forward with dread to the new year of tyranny in America and the NDAA. But uh, I don't know where to begin. There's so much to talk about. But perhaps we should talk about a recent motion uh, for appeal uh, for counsel that you laid with um, your ongoing case uh, now against uh, the U.S. Uh, itself in the, in the Ninth uh, Circuit yeah. Court of Appeals. Let's, let's hear about the latest. Well, you brought up an interesting point, though, because they changed. Instead of it being Shine versus NTSB, the NTSB filed a motion to try to bow out and say we have no involvement in on this, and we have this case ruling. Uh, and as I uh, did a little bit of research, it turns out it was case precedence that the NTSB had sought on its own where an FAA judge had dismissed a case, and the NTSB, Barbara Hurstman, the same woman who wants to um, outlaw cell phones in all cars, uh, she's the board of the or the chair of the board of the NTSB. Uh, one FAA ALJ judge dismissed a case against a pilot, and the NTSB appealed to the circuit appellate court when it never even got to the NTSB. So the full board of the NTSB, which is all five of the ALJ, FAA, uh, Federal Aviation Administration, administrative law judges for FAA cases, they are individual F, uh, ALJs for the FAA issues. They form and become the full board of the NTSB, which is kind of a conflict of interest. You got all, it's almost rather than like a, an appellate board, it's almost like an en banc uh, proceeding, like if you appeal to the Ninth Circuit, a three-member panel of justices will hear your case or your petition or, you know, whatever you file. And if you don't like their ruling, the panel's ruling, you then would appeal to an en banc panel, which is all the sitting justices from that circuit appellate court, in my instance, is the Ninth Circuit. But with the NTSB, the way it's set up, all the five independent individual FAA ALJs who sit on and rule on FAA cases then all become to come together and become the appellate body. And it's kind of the same thing like with the Coast Guard, where my appeal from the Coast Guard administrative law judge, and remember I'm not in the Coast Guard, the Coast Guard is supposedly the, the regulatory authority and licensing authority, only problem is it's a branch of military doing this now, um, I have to appeal to the admiral after the FAA or after the Coast Guard administrative law judge. I appeal to the Coast Guard admiral, the head of a branch of military that I'm not in, and an admiral in a uniform, a military service now, uh, and he gets to rule on and decide. Then I appeal to the NTSB, the civilian, you know, board, 
and then eventually I appeal to the circuit appellate court. I never get before a real district court. I never get a jury trial. I, you know, things like Miranda and everything else don't apply. And it's to the point where they're using these administrative proceedings, saying that they're administrative and or remedial and or internal, but then using that to exclude the federal rules of civil procedure, federal rules of criminal procedure, federal rules of evidence. They can use hearsay within hearsay. That means you heard someone else say, and that's fully admissible in court, to convict you of whatever they want to charge you with. But the um, uh, I just filed a motion for assistance of counsel because in these proceedings, the way they were constituted originally and have been shut down numerous times by Congress itself, um, in Suits and Admiralty Act in 1965 and a bunch of other instances, uh, and the creation of the Department of um, Transportation and moving the Coast Guard from commerce into transportation. But the... Um, uh, the, the uh, union, quote-unquote, and or the shipping companies that I work for under federal contracts, they're the ones who are supposed to provide me counsel. They did provide me counsel. Um, first guy was Frank Brucolari. He was a risk manager for the shipping companies and the protection indemnity insurance clubs. He recused himself due to conflicts of interest and, quote-unquote, ethics, which I don't think he ever had any understanding of what that word means. Um, and he then uh, uh, extended the conflicts of interest by finding and replacing himself with another counsel named Peter Forge. Uh Both of those counsels came from my federal contracts, from my shipping articles, which are, you know, they're constitutional. They're covered under admiralty. They're actually within the Constitution itself under Articles of Agreement. The shipping articles that we work on are actual Articles of Agreement with the United States. And the United States contracts them out so as to be, you know, once removed and not directly involved so that it can carry on oversight if there is a problem. The only problem is there's a major racket going on here. The unions that are involved, the shipping companies are involved, the protection indemnity insurance clubs are involved, AIG is involved. Uh, you know, uh, you go down the whole long laundry list of all these enormous uh, Coast Guard and this creation of Homeland Security, Lockheed Martin, uh, General Dynamics, et cetera, et cetera, military-industrial complex. Um, but the motion was for seeking assistance of counsel, A, because I'm up against a branch of military that I'm not in. It's clearly a military tribunal or minimally a police tribunal, although they had JAG, you know, counsel uh, opposing me, a military uniformed commission JAG counsel. Uh, you know, prosecuting the case against me. He's a, he's the one who actually brought the charges against me. He was promoted for doing so, went to JAG school and law school after bringing the charges against me, comes back five years later and then shows back up in court, uh, an attorney, uh, part of this JAG Corps within the Coast Guard now that can supposedly use the courtroom as a weapon against those it identifies and alleges to be civilians. And I've brought up with you before the, about the application and how it goes towards the issues with the NDAA and all that stuff going on. Exactly. We'll get more into that after the break, but suffice it to say you're now caught up in the Ninth Circle of Hell. I mean, sorry, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, I, I, I was already there before, back in 2003. So I'm yeah, back where I was. So full almost, circle. 
Exactly. Well, unfortunately, it just continues to go round and round and round, but uh, but we have to go through this because this is exactly what is coming down the line for average citizens out there. So let's stop right there, but we'll be right back in a few minutes talking with Lieutenant Eric Schein, MarshallLaw911.com and CrossingTheRubeCon.org, and we'll be right back after these messages. Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And tonight we're talking to Eric Shine of MarshallLaw911.com and CrossingTheRubicon.org. Also the host of In the Zone here on RBN on Saturday and Sunday nights in this very time slot. And tonight we're talking about all of the uh, dreadful implications of his ongoing case against, uh, well, with the Coast Guard attempting to prosecute him in a military tribunal and all of the craziness that has spun out from that over the past almost going on 10 years, a decade of absolute ridiculous uh, oppression and um, and tonight we're thinking about the implications of this uh, for the new legislation that's coming along to legalize the detention the indefinite detention without trial of american citizens on american soil by the u.s military aka the ndaa and uh, and a particularly uh, interesting uh, uh, editorial i found today from salemnews.com that i'll put in the show notes for today's episode ndaa legalizes slavery um, you don't get much more basic than that, and uh, unfortunately, that's basically where we're heading. But, uh, but Eric Shine, perhaps you can t- draw out for the listeners a little bit about how your case interfaces with this new legislation and what it really means for the average person out there. You bring up, I mean, I could go to, uh, you could talk about just about anything, uh, medical or federalizing um, health care and all this other stuff, um, but slavery, because um, I'm considered, and the Coast Guard has pled, that I am and continue to be acting under the authority of my federal license within these proceedings. That means I'm working. That means I'm working in these proceedings. The only problem is I'm not being paid. I'm not getting legal aid like I should if I were, you know, employed within these proceedings. I'm not getting um, medical benefits, uh, health care, um, uh, you know, pay per diem, uh, housing allowances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I'm not only in a worse position, and this goes to some of the other issues involved, that you don't have to be in physical custody for you to be detained. And I don't exactly think right. I mean, it's a detention. It's a detention that affects you at a much more fundamental level because not only has has your livelihood been stripped from you, but the possibility of you ever doing what you were trained to do is is stripped until these proceedings are dropped and the entire thing uh, revoked. So it's well, it's really getting you. I mean, at your most basic fundamental level. Well, and not just that, because I can't be a dog catcher. I can't take care of children in a in a uh, in a. Um, daycare uh i can't um i probably can't even be a um, dog catcher uh i i can't do anything that my military training would afford me um certain employment benefits you know uh where you know the police departments seek out individuals who are ex-military i'm not just ex-military um enlisted i'm an officer i was up to be a lieutenant commander in the united states navy 
uh, when all this happened. And, um, uh, you know, forget about stop loss and all the other things that have gone on. In the meantime, you have to look at all this and go, well, with stop loss and them not allowing or letting people to leave the military, how can this guy be stripped of his naval commission absent due process? And it's not even done by the Navy. I mean, it's done by the Navy by the Navy not doing anything about it. It's done by the Coast Guard, who has stripped me of not only my naval commission, but also my top secret security clearance, my use of my marine engineering license, my you know professional engineering license, my degree in marine engineering, uh, the fact that I graduated from a federal military service academy, and more. None of that I can put on a resume because basically, and this kind of goes to, I was thinking about this earlier today, uh, Bush, uh, George W. Bush ended up going to my academy, one of the first times we've had a president there in a long time. Uh, Roosevelt uh, instituted the academy back in 36. So the Bushes and others hate King's Point for obvious reasons because it's tied to Roosevelt. And... Um, and I, 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 you know, not just because I came from there, I see the need for it, and I applaud um, the purpose of the academy uh, and the state maritime academies. Only problem is we don't have, uh, you know, any purpose for them because our merchant marine has been outsourced to foreign countries. But George W. Bush uh, went to the academy for, I don't know if it was a graduation, um, I think it was a different ceremony, um, but it was clear to me one of the reasons that he went was to make some promises because in one of the um, publications that the Academy puts out for alumnus, uh, they put in there uh, who you are, what class you graduated, what you're up to, your personal contacts, and it's kind of a, a way to, um, you know, uh, they call it ring knocking. Uh, you know, people from West Point do it, and they help out other West Pointers and uh, Annapolis, the same thing, and Kings Point, and and many of the academies help each other out. Uh, there are rivalries like um, Coast Guard Academy with the Merchant Marine Academy, um, and there's also some conflicts of interest there. But Bush went to basically promise to pay for a reprinting of this document, this publication, where they had outsourced it to a private corporation. They asked me what I was doing. And I told him I was a Homeland Security detainee. And they actually put it in the publication. And because of that, I think they had to go ahead and reprint the whole thing and <laughs> send it back out. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. All right. Well, let's hold it right there. If you, again, if you want to get in on tonight's conversation, 1-800-313-9443. Tonight we're talking with Lieutenant Eric Schein about the NDAA and the implications for his own case and all of the American citizens out there. So let's take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. All right, welcome back, friends. We are talking to Eric Schein tonight on Corporate Report Radio. And once again, if you want to get in and talk about the NDAA and its implications, 1-800-313-9443. And earlier in the podcast uh, broadcast tonight, I was talking about uh, an even more of this insane legislation coming through, talking about 
a new act called the Terrorist Expatriation Act, and I misidentified the person that I had seen writing about this. It wasn't uh, Vice President Biden. It was actually our old friend, Senator Joe Lieberman. And I will, again, put in the link to this in the show notes for today's broadcast at CorbettReport.com slash radio. So you can go and read it for yourself. But uh, but basically, he says in his own document, um, background, an existing federal statute, 8 U.S.C. 1481, identifies seven categories of acts for which U.S. citizens lose their citizenship if they voluntarily perform one of those acts with the intention of relinquishing United States nationality. For example, serving in the armed forces of a foreign state that's at war with the U.S. or formally renouncing your nationality. And it says the Terrorist Expatriation Act would simply add another category to the list of acts for which a U.S. national would lose his nationality, namely providing material support or resources to a foreign terrorist organization as designated by the Secretary of State or actively engaging in hostilities against the U.S. or its allies. So basically now all they have to do is slap the terrorist moniker on you and they can strip you of your U.S. citizenship and nationality. And uh, and then we know it's a fair game for any type of military tribunal or whatever they want to do with you, even regardless of the NDAA. So, so Eric Schein, guess what's next? Anyone they don't like can be just called a terrorist and have their citizenship stripped from them. Try to connect me to Timothy McVeigh. Mm-hmm. I have no connection to Timothy McVeigh. But the, they don't have to prove it. All they have to do is allege it. Because, like, even in these proceedings, in what I'm trapped in, hearsay within hearsay is admissible. So the fact that the lieutenant in the Coast Guard presented that in the proceeding, that he heard someone else say it or someone else was, you know, going to testify to that effect, who never did, um, it turns out it was because I put it, and I've talked to you about this before, I put it in a um, whistleblower letter to Secretary of Transportation Normanetta about what was going on in the Merchant Marine, and I used McVeigh's, uh, what happened in that whole incident in the OKC, um, you know, bombing, uh, uh, as a prime example of why we can't allow, uh, domestic crime, terrorism, whatever you wanted to label it, to go unchecked. And, um, they tried to use that using that as an example to somehow connect and tie me to Timothy McVeigh. And, you know, the only person that spoke up for me was myself in the proceedings at the time and the attorney that I had at the time. And he even said it was ridiculous for them to take that out of context, take it out of the letter, out of the context of the letter that it was in, and to try to somehow um, infer that I am connected to McVeigh. It's like um, playing six degrees of separation Kevin Bacon's Hollywood game, trying to show that somebody is connected to somebody else through six degrees. You know, somebody was in this movie, and they starred with this person, and they uh, this person was the director, and then, you know, through six degrees of separation or less, you connect the two people, and the, the tighter you can make the connection, uh, the better are, are you at the game. And here, um, it's totally ludicrous. They can make up anything that they want. They even took medical records, and falsified them. They altered them and said that I said that evil spirits possessed me at times. I never said that. And uh, and it's one of those acts that has that wonderful wording, providing material support or resources to a foreign terrorist organization, whatever that means. And that Open can mean it. absolutely anything they wanted to, as, as you well know. It's completely ambiguous. It's totally open-ended. It's open to interpretation by 
whomever. And it's not, well, I was going to say it's a secretary, well, the, the, many of the functions, and this goes to the NDAA, many of the functions of the FBI and Department of Justice have now been turned over to the Department of Defense. So civilian authorities, civilian functions have now been relegated and the United States has been declared to be a, uh, a battlefield. Um, so they can do anything under articles of war, and we don't have articles of war, which is part of the problem. So they're basically, and Congress is supposed to legislate or create those articles of war, and, and all of this its not supposed to be as a writer to the National Defense Authorization Act. It's supposed to be a standalone, you know, bill to where it's really clear and it's, you know, debated upon and deliberated upon. Um, and none of that's happened. It's all been piecemealed by the Military Commissions Act, the Warner Defense Authorization Act, uh, 2006, I think it was, um, uh, uh, H.R. Uh, 1540, uh, 1867, a Senate bill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The uh, Homeland Security Act, the Patriot Act, one and two. All of these laws, and many of them, are not real clear. It's very difficult to try to understand how the law has changed because many of the laws were written in such a manner to take a section of another law out or replace a period with a comma or replace a comma with a period and rewrite legislation to where if you went in, because many of those acts were thousands of pages long, to go back in and try to cipher what the actual changes in all of these laws where it was next to impossible. Exactly right. I mean, they make it a labyrinth on purpose. And uh, and on that note, it was interesting doing some research for a recent uh, video that I created. Um, I was doing some research about the Patriot Act, and uh, and lo and behold, uh, Joe Biden, uh, a, a few years ago, uh, was uh, quoted as actually bragging about how the uh, the what he had drafted back in the actually before OKC, just before OKC, they drafted this big crime omnibus bill. That would have done a lot of the things that the Patriot Act ended up doing. It didn't end up getting passed. But then after the Patriot Act got passed, he was all proud that, oh, well, much of my uh, 1995 anti-terrorist bill ended up in the Patriot Act. And it just goes to show, again, that they have this legislation on file waiting to bring out with at whatever convenient excuse they can, any big event that they can use to get the uh, impetus behind their political agenda. They'll just roll out this this giant document that's ready to go. And, and everyone thinks that, oh, wow, they just crafted this giant, you know, incredible Patriot Act with all of the changes and just mind-boggling. Uh, you have to do backflips in order to be able to read it properly. And, and as if it was just created in a few weeks after 9-11, of course it wasn't. They've had right. it sitting there for years, just like they have whatever the next legislation will be sitting there right now waiting for the next big event. But that's it's fascism. It's corporatism because what they're doing is they're allowing individuals and families and corporations and or, or an industry like Big Pharma to write the legislation that benefits them as a big corporation a big family that owns and controls the corporation and or industry, uh, an industry, uh, it's, you know, uh, uh, vested interests like um, Chertoff. And, you know, we've talked about this before, Chertoff with the um, scanners and the airport where he set up the regulations to require it, and then he goes to work for the company that makes them. That is fascism, where you're using the government to create or control 
the market or industry or your corporation or the rules and regulations or the laws that would either regulate you or deregulate you or hurt or benefit your particular corporation or industry that you have invested in, like, you know, uh, Bill Frist uh, with HCA in Columbia, and he's in there trying to, um, uh, you know, uh, passing a lot of these big pharma bills for um, uh, big pharma. Uh, and he's, you know, a supposed doctor and a supposed Christian, and he's also in there advocating to do away with uh, when he was in there as the Senate Majority Leader for the Republicans uh, before he got ousted, um, trying to do away with the um, Paris Hilton tax. And we've got all these people now that are running, talking about being progressive when they don't even understand the root definition of where that term came from, which means to progressively tax more and more those who benefit more and more from our system, our military, our civilian courts, uh, living in and being in a republic that is supposed to be of, by, and for the people. Um, all these, you know, enormous benefits that can literally turn someone into a billionaire, uh, you know, minimally a millionaire, uh, without, and I don't want to say without, you know, too much effort, but without the effort that would be required in other countries. Uh, that there is great opportunity here in this country, and there is greater opportunity here, I believe, uh, because of the system that we had, not the system that we have. Um, and all these laws that are being passed are because they're scared to lose their seat at the table, whether it be at, you know, in Congress, in the executive branch, uh, people like Barbara Hurstman, for her to come out and to, uh, on behalf of the NTSB, and put out this whole thing about uh, outlawing um, cell phones in all cars, um, I, I, I mean, that's something that Congress should be involved in, or the regulatory board, and it's not the NTSB. I, I would, you know, say that they're not, um, shouldn't have a leg in on this. Um, it just boggles the mind because what it does is it allows that person to influence the entire cell phone industry and promote hands-free, and I don't I think she wants to get rid of all cell phones completely even hands-free cell phones, which is just ludicrous. You know, it so is ludicrous to have legislation against it. I, I, I mean, I think driving while talking on the cell phone is stupid, and I don't recommend anyone does oh, it. But I, to, I have the government, to have the government come in and, and make all these laws just to give another reason for police and all of them to get involved in your life at every possible point is just ridiculous, and it's just the nanny state. And wh at what point do people start saying that the nanny state is not the answer to our, our problems? Until but, until people come to that realization, I think all is lost. But you got to, you got to, because regulation is good to a point, and, and especially when it's against the bigger player and, you know, those who wield a lot of power and influence and access. The problem is, is when they use regulation to guide an industry so that not, not for any real, you know, like trying to get all the um, uh, computers so that they're on the same, you know, trying to get everybody so that we're on the metric system, something like that, you know, to where, look, we're all better off if we're speaking the same language or we're minimally at least measuring in the same, uh, uh, you know, measurement system. Um, things like that, you know, even for computers, like trying to use the same adapters and plugins 
or so software can speak to itself, uh, uh, whether it be an Apple or an IBM, that uh, uh, they're not two separate, entirely separate systems to where there is communication between the two types of systems. To make them to, uh, be more universal is not a bad thing. But when you, you come you, in, I don't know about that. I don't. I don't think I agree with that. If the, I think if people want well, that, no, no, then they'll buy no, no, systems no, no. with that. There's no and, reason and, to make a law I'm, about it. No, no, I'm I'm saying more like um like AC like uh, uh one like the European Union is or most of it or part of it is on a and so is Japan on a different electrical system than the United States. Like we're on one ten, and I think uh, Europe is on. Um, it's like 125 or something. I don't know off the top of my head, but yeah, there, there is different systems. But again, right. I don't. I don't think we need the government for that. Do you think people would have all of these vastly different competing electrical currents coming into their house if there wasn't a government regulation saying so? Of course not. I mean, the, the energy companies would be deciding it, and the people um, would decide with their wallet, pocketbooks, who they're going to buy their electricity from. Again, I think I think government is the is the problem. It is not the solution. And all of these ridiculous, petty regulations that they get involved in are, is not the answer. And giving well, no, no, people... No, no, you're, you're, yeah, but you're missing my point, because and I, I may not be given the best example of it, because I'm trying to go more to the issue of fascism, where you're using individuals that are literally in your family to go in and write legislation not to where it benefits the people as a whole, rich and poor, and it's about commerce, trade, transportation, the free flow of, of ideas and commerce and transportation uh, to make things easier and or better for everyone. You know, like, like uh, building a road or a highway, we all benefit from that, rich and poor. And at some point, we should all pay same or similar taxes, you know, for that. It's part of the public trust, just like a a public library. But when you go into and you work in government intentionally to write legislation to turn business in an industry to you, like like KBR, like Dick Cheney would probably be a better example, and what he did with Halliburton and KBR as vice president. Much of it we don't even know because he did it in secret meetings, uh, energy meetings. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about as to where it's more, he's not doing... And because I'm not anti-government, I'm anti-corruption, and I, I am more of a small government, you know, especially a central or federal, small central or federal government, and most of the power relying or uh, resting in the hands of the people and/or the states, and not the federal or central government. I I hear you, and I understand what you're saying. I just think that uh, that the more I look into it, the more I believe that really it is just a question of letting the market decide. Because I really don't think government. I mean, it's nice to have the ideal that government should be this you know thing floating over everyone and deciding what they should or shouldn't do in in the cases where it's good for them. But then corruption gets in the way, and the corrupt people get into positions of power. I don't think that's the case. I think corruption is is the norm. It will always be there, which is why centralized power has to be absolutely limited as much as humanly possible because otherwise uh, we, we end up with tyranny every single time and uh, apparently a few thousand years of history isn't enough for people to learn yeah. that. Well, and I think we agree that it's the centralization because even like in the example of the Coast Guard, when the Revenue Cutter Marine was formed by Hamilton back in 1791, he basically federalized it, institutionalized it under the Treasury Department uh, some good things came out of it because they used the same standards to build the revenue cutters, but the people, his peers, chastised him, 
broke up the Revenue Cutter Marine and returned that authority back to the local or locality, to the, the, the local customs house, which was a, a, a local port and or state right to where it was controlled more and, and closer to the people, by the people, uh, uh, you know, they were the ones who were actually doing it and not the central federal government. Exactly right. All right. So we are, uh, I guess, approaching the, the, the onset of a new year and it, it is going to be, I mean, an incredibly interesting year from all sorts of different perspectives. So perhaps when we come back after the break, we can start getting into a little bit what you think is coming up in this new year and, and what, uh, what you think it might hold. But before we do that, just uh, quickly throw out the websites again for people who might be tuning in. Uh, www.crossingtherubicon.org and www.martiallaw, M-E-R-T-I-A-L-L-A-W-9-1.com. And go to the RVN website and read that motion for counsel. That's right. I will put that motion for counsel up on uh, corporatereport.com slash radio, uh, along with links to all the other things we're talking about tonight. So let's stay on the line, and we'll be right back after these messages. Okay, welcome back, friends. James Corbett here of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're talking to Eric Shine of CrossingTheRubicon.org, MarshallLaw911.com, and of course, Republic Broadcasting's very own In the Zone on uh, Saturday and Sunday nights in this time slot. So, Eric Shine, just before the break, I was raising the specter of a, a new year. It's just an arbitrary turning of the calendar, but it does present us with a chance to to look either retrospectively or prospectively. So let's take a look at the next 12 months and what you think is coming up uh, in terms of this this type of legislation and what we might be seeing around the corner. Well, I think the um, everybody knows the Mayan calendar is going to end. <laughs> I, I, I don't know who's going to make or print the next calendar. <laughs> because We'll need a new Mayan calendar, I guess. Right. Um and the end of the world is supposed to happen December 21st, 2012. I think just like the Millennium Bug, which, and this goes to the issue of what we were talking about before, the Millennium Bug is an example of how those who knew that this problem was out there could have cured it. And this is where regulation comes in and important say, look, we don't care how you do it. We want everyone out there making software and hardware to fix the clock. So in 2000, <laughs> It's, it's not an issue. If only government would help us fix our clocks. We can't well, do it ourselves. Well, but, <laughs> but they don't want to do it themselves because what they did was the industry waited till 2000, uh, used fear and terror because they know it's such a good marketing tool. It gets people to buy stuff, you know, stock up on water and food and whatever. Um, they sold a ton of hardware and software because of the millennium bug, that was more about hype than anything else. And, and they used it as, as such to sell stuff. Just like what's going on. It, it's, that what we're living in right now is the epitome of what I'm talking about to where we're using fear and terror and terrorism to promote homeland security. They've spent a, a, a trillion dollars on airport security since 9-11. And we're not any safer than we were. A trillion dollars. Do you realize how much money that is? And show me 
where that money was spent wisely. <laughs> wisely. Money spent wisely by the government? That's pretty much a contradiction in terms. Uh, no, you're, I think you're going to have to come up with a better example than Y2K for me, because uh, I just still don't understand why the government has to tell us what to buy or not to buy or how to set our clocks or anything like that. In fact, uh, the less government is involved in business, the better, as far as I'm concerned. But um, See, it's certain things like um, making buildings earthquake-proof and putting out the regulations and, and or standards and using some kind of a... Um, you know, whether it's a, a civilian, and I hate to say civilian board because it's it becomes so administrative and, and not um, trying to get into a court and cure any kind of problems is, is problematic at best. Um, but we need certain, like, you know, building codes to make things earthquake-proof in California. Uh, new buildings should, you know, follow that. If you want to build a new building, it should meet those minimum requirements. I, I believe it should also have um, adequate parking that that should be required. If you're going to build a new building, especially in the heart of the city somewhere... And then that, you're legislating a transportation industry into existence that may not have been there if it was allowed to develop by itself. And again, it's also saying that consumers are too stupid well, but, to, to understand about earthquake uh, yeah. resistance and things like that. You can't, you can't check that yourself. You have to have that daddy government coming in and telling you how to build a house. Again, I don't think so. I don't think the government has a place in things like that, and I think we're going to have to agree to disagree there, but people who are interested in following this conversation as we continue it, we're going to be talking with Eric Schein on CorbettReport.com tomorrow, so look forward to that. And uh, we'll also be talking to Stuart Rhodes of OathKeepers.org tomorrow night on this very broadcast, continuing the discussion about the NDAA and all this legislation that's coming down the line, just absolutely ridiculous. Once again, please check CorbettReport.com slash radio for the links to all of the documents that we talked about tonight. And until tomorrow night, thank you for listening and take care. <laughs>